If you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Again, we're continuing and we'll finish today our series on broken shepherds for God's broken people. Again, we're doing a topical series through a series of expositional sermons, uh, these passages. I want to read for us. We'll be in verses 1 through 7. We will not cover everything in, these, in this passage, uh, but I'm just going to work right through it this morning. Let's begin reading. First Peter 5, starting verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you let's pray dear father pray that hearts would be open this morning I pray that my heart would be open this morning. I pray that anything that I say that is not in keeping with your word would be burned away, never to be remembered, but that your words would be burned and etched eternally onto our hearts. For your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to read to you a quote from Pastor Matt Chandler. He says this, In our culture... Because of our dark skepticism toward authority, we think of the idea of a governing body as being ripe for perversion and sinfulness and destruction. The idea of a governing body having an authority over us is something we kick against. The line of reasoning goes something like this, Matt. Because of the sinfulness of the world and the slippery slope of success, if there is an elder board in which almost all power is held, it's only a matter of time until you fill that elder board with yes men for you and you do whatever you want, your king, and we become just your personal playground and all you know is millionaires and you're using this as your little personal piggy bank. On and on and on it goes, right? 
I think Matt Chandler has some good words. You know, in each of our hearts, each of our hearts, myself included, there's a dark skepticism toward authority. We all have a dark skepticism towards authority. It's moved from one generation to the next, from Adam and Eve till now. It entangles us all. We're all skeptical to some measure. And if we're honest, we feel safest when only we are in charge. And a passage like that of 1 Peter can easily become justification for our sinful response to the rightful exercise of authority. What's to remind you of a passage in Genesis 3, verse 6? He says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. In short... She thought, maybe God is withholding something good from me. What does that sound like? She was skeptical of God's authority. That surely God can't perfectly exercise authority for my good. Certainly He means harm to myself and to my husband Adam. You see this in Genesis 3, this dark skepticism towards authority at its very root, in its very core, and it says something to us today. Listen, we have all seen broken leadership. We've all seen broken leadership, even abusive leadership. All of us. Some leaders abuse their power with 140 characters while others abused with passive aggressiveness, and yet others with outright assault. We've seen it. We should dislike it. We should be angered even at times about it. I agree. However, listen to me. When these verses were penned, when Peter wrote this passage... This isn't John writing in Revelation about the kingdom coming from the sky and how we're to live in it. This is Peter talking to a local church prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the mix of spirit-guided people who still battle with the flesh. Let's not forget the context. Peter is writing about what the relationship looks like between broken shepherds and God's broken people. Through the imperfections, through the pain, through even the joys and the bliss, this is the relationship we should strive for. And listen, God intends to eradicate completely our dark skepticism towards His authority largely through flawed men He calls to be elders. Let me say that a different way. God intends in this relationship to help us be rid of 
our dark, deep-rooted skepticism of Him. Why? Because ultimately, our issue, our dark, deep-rooted skepticism toward authority is not with man. It's with God. And as long as we continue to see it as just with man, then our relationship with God will go untouched in this area of sanctification. Do you understand that your heart and my heart is bent toward disliking God's authority and anything that resembles His authority? It's not just bad authority that we dislike. Our hearts are bent to dislike the other as well. The good. And God is using, as He always does, our relationships on the horizontal to heal our relationship in the vertical. Genesis to Revelation. What I want you to see, at least in part this morning, is that elders will fit joyfully and appropriately into your life if you humbly trust God. And you're going to work out this trusting God in that context of following shepherds joyfully and appropriately. So I want to start with this, as we work, work right through this passage, I want to start though in verse 5. Because if, if you'll notice the way I've structured like, the points and working through today, they're, very, they're directives, but they're more directives or imperatives, if you will, for the church, when what Peter's giving is directives to elders. So I'm going to address the directives to elders, but then be asking the question, so what does it look like then for the congregation in response to those directives or imperatives given to elders. Because clearly that's what's on Peter's mind here as well. Because when he gets to verse 5, he says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So everything he says about the elders, he now says, Now those of you who are younger, be subject to those people. So here's the question. What is younger men? What's he mean by younger men? Does he mean just men? Does he mean ladies both? Well, certainly he means everybody. But younger men, what's he mean? Here's, here's what he means by younger men. The idea is more, like he's differentiating more between those who have seniority and the appropriate standing that qualifies them to be elders versus everybody else. This is not an age thing. I mean, by the way, you can be 90 years old, a Christian for 70 of those years, and still be a two-year-old Christian. And I would remind you that the danger, according to Romans 12, is that you and I would estimate our standing too highly. Just an observation, 9.99 times out of 9.99 times when someone is unwilling to submit to rightfully exercised authority of anybody, particularly elders, it's because they're, usually, they're estimating themselves too highly and oftentimes have friends encouraging it. The idea here is not physical age. Younger is referring to everyone else in the congregation versus those who God has qualified to be elders. So he says this, such younger people are to continue walking with submissive hearts under their God-given 
authority. Now, again, I know right now, I, I, I am not too naive to recognize that some of us in this room are like, <gasps> right? Like, our heart's in a little bit of a tension, and I don't like that. And I would encourage you to write that down, take that captive, and go do something with it at the cross. All throughout this series, I hope, in many ways, you have checked your misunderstandings of eldership at the door and hopefully kicked most of it to the curb. Listen, elders are not just the dudes who preach on Sunday. Oh, I love that. And it's usually, you know, I, it, so what, what do you do other than preach? Like, I've had that question many times. And I'm like, man, I wish I could just preach. Like, that would be easy. All right, listen, elders are meant to help you walk in faithfulness, to help you grow in joy and love of the Lord. Elders are meant to protect and guard the covenant and your walk within. Eldership is way more than just the guys who kind of keep the church going. They're more than program managers. They're more than directors of activities. Peter says in verse 2, getting at what, again, what are these elders? What is their role and how do we respond to it? Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. I'm going to camp here for a few moments. Listen, both shepherding and exercising oversight encapsulate the responsibility of an elder. So we ask this question, again, how should the congregation then respond to that? What does this look like for us to work through this? Both parties, if you will. I'm going to give the imperative this way. Seek shepherding from your elders. If the elders are to shepherd the flock, then the proper response for those who understand and value this is to seek shepherding from the elders. Like actively seek it. Actively seek it. If you value it, you will seek it. Now, I would encourage you this, to make sure that the way you assess value is not from our worldly, sin-tainted state of mind and existence, but that we have biblically informed values, right? Because we could be tainted and say, well, I want this kind of shepherding. I want it to look this way, and if it looked that way, then maybe I would go get it. So what does the Scripture say faithful shepherding looks like? I want to talk through some of that this morning and, and have tried the past few weeks. Listen, someone said this, Shepherds know their sheep. They watch out for dangers. Ensure that the people are well fed and watered. They apply a healing balm to their wounds and occasionally discipline them to return them to the fold. So again, here's my question. Are you inviting that into your life? Are you inviting that into your life? Mom, dad, single, teenager, physically old, physically young, whatever the case is, whatever your stage of life is, are you inviting that into your life? Or do you live as though you don't need it? That's the danger. I'm good. 
Do you see shepherds watch over the souls of those among them? Let's talk about this among them. I want to just maybe even just state the obvious, that you can be physically present and still not really be among a people. Right? You can go there, but not really be among them. Like you can physically be a man present in your home, but that doesn't mean you're acting like a husband or a father. Even in this church, you could be among us for years and have still a stiffened neck resisting shepherding. So being among us, I think, means more than just physically present. I think if you read and kind of from this passage and then you look at other passages we've studied, and I'm thankful for this, that as elders, we're not accountable to God for those who have not committed to be under our charge. We're accountable to God for those who have committed to be under our charge. Again, think last week. How can we be watchful in the way God intends of someone and their soul who doesn't want to be watched after? Like, just, just think about that practically. What does that look like? I mean, if you can figure out what that looks like, let me know. I mean, sure, listen, we can, we can watch, we can, we can keep an eye on them, but then what do you do with that? Like, what can, we, what can I practically do with that? Like, to guide them, to shepherd, to discipline? I just can't. It just practically gets very hard and murky and messy at that point. And it's already messy enough. So to think about this, this among us, there's a measure of I'm committed to be here. I'm committed to be under this charge. I'm committed to being shepherded here and to seeking it here. There's this measure of I want to be among you. It means, this among you means your heart is here, that your mind is here, that your humility is here. Again, I would remind you, it's really hard to watch over someone who doesn't want to be watched over. Going back to the Hebrews passage, of what advantage is that to you? To be physically among somebody, but to not want to be watched over. To be watched over. So, practically, let me, let me say this. Like, for those who like, are working through, what does this look like? What is it, you know, and you're considering, would it be members here, or maybe not, or I'm just visiting, what's, what's this look like? I want you to know, like, Rusty and I, Lord willing, Greg, after today, like, want to care for your souls as much as possible. Like, we want to, we will do everything we possibly can to care for you, to love on you, to watch after your soul, to, 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 protect you, to guide you as much as we possibly can. I just want you to understand that the nature of the relationship is that we can only do that as much as you'll let us. And we want to as much as possible. Again, if you value shepherding, you will seek it. You will take advantage of the many graces in this congregation where you can receive it. 
So like, like, what does that look like? What does it look like to seek shepherding? Does it mean like, man, I got a phone and appointment with Pastor Matt once a month? No, please don't. You seek it through preaching. It's one way. Like, take advantage of it. I hope that you take lots of notes and you can go throughout the week and study different things and seek to apply it. Listen, there's every week when we preach, there's so much here that I just don't get to cover, want to cover, and I can't take the time to apply it to everybody's lives individually. That's what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon is for. Seek it through other teachings on the scriptures, like seminars. Seek it through others who have been equipped, like in house gathering and DNA. And then what I referenced to at the beginning, seek it through counsel. Seek it through asking for help. Seek it through observation. Like, seek, you know, observe their faith and imitate their faith. Paul says earlier in Hebrews 13. Observe it. What does it look like? How are my elders living this out? Listen, I'm not saying we're perfect. The reason that keeps going, well, but you're not perfect, but you're not perfect. The reason that keeps coming to your mind is you want a justification for not doing it. Where does their faith line up with the Scriptures? And let me observe it and imitate it. So there's multiple ways in which we seek or we deny seeking shepherding. But the reality is, as Peter is saying, elders, you're to shepherd. And I want to help you figure out how do I take advantage of that? How do I utilize that in a way that honors God? Next imperative. Off of the same verse. Participate in the fruit of the elders' oversight of the church. In my notes, I've got like this much written on this section and I, I wish I could put more but here we stand this term oversight places an emphasis on like the details of pastoral care the details of what it looks like and how it's worked out couple couple examples here very quickly elders pursue members who have fallen prey to false teaching this is one of the ways in which we exercise oversight in detail is to watch people's lives and if if it appears that they have fallen prey to false teaching. We go after them. We pursue them. Sometimes that looks like just a friendly admonishment. Sometimes that looks like friendly discipline. It just depends on the nature of the situation. But do you understand that if an elder comes to you, they're doing it because they care for you. They care for your soul. We would rather avoid the confrontation. Because it's painful and it hurts. And it's hard. We don't want to see you. So that's why we're willing to have the conversation. It's because we believe. Like this, maybe you've fallen prey to false teaching. And here's the reality. Maybe you're the false teacher. Maybe you're, you've grabbed a hold of something that's wrong. And you're believing that and running with that. And you can't see it. So you, you come, and we come, and we go, hey, why are, you, why, are you why are you doing this? What are you thinking here? Why, why is this fruit coming out here? Let's take a look at this. Oh, you know, no, it's not. I'm fine, I'm fine. i got to figure it out. And As elders, we go, well, what do we do with that? It's hard. 
So the question is, how, how have you responded to oversight? How do you think you will respond to oversight? Humility? Pride. Someone said this, elders, this is kind of like the second thought here, elders should also organize congregational care and the ministry of teaching, which assures the ongoing stability of the church. So oversight, organizing and structuring the church in a way to ensure its ongoing stability. Now again, that's not just programs, right? That's talking about people. And organizing, equipping, and teaching for those people so that the church moves on in stability. So here's the deal. Elders are supposed to organize the church in such a way to equip you to resist false belief in this world and maintain solid and right belief in God. Like that, is, that is our oversight role. Let me give you an implication of this. This means that if the elders believe it's valuable for the church and for you, then you should probably do it. At the very least, if you don't think it's valuable for you, you should ask the elders if you're missing a part of the picture. So things like house gathering, DNA, other activities... These are all things that your shepherds are organizing for the purpose of caring and equipping the body in order to assure the, ensure the ongoing stability and fruitfulness of the church. I had a meeting the other night and asked this couple, what was one of the things that they loved about renovation the most? And they said the community, like the relationships. And I'm sure they'll tell you my response to that was, it's hard fought. It's hard fought. It's hard fought on things like this. Your elders being willing to say, hey, we want to do things that are valuable for you. And you need to consider whether or not you're missing something. I want to encourage you, like when we think about these things, and you think about the elders oversight of the church and organizing things in such a way to equip the body, I want to encourage you, don't do these things out of duty. I'm saying do them out of trust. Do them out of trust. Now I get it, I get it. Listen, all this stuff is hard. All this stuff is a challenge, it's difficult. Our hearts want to rebel. Our hearts, I, I want to shrug my responsibilities. I want to get rid of them. I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want to have to have the hard conversations. I don't want to have to press into people's lives. It would be much easier to just do what I want to do, to do what I think is easy and most comfortable. But I want to encourage you with this. Be encouraged by an elder's disposition. Be encouraged by an elder's disposition. Be encouraged by the, what Peter says is expected of an elder's disposition. Again, I want to remind you that these, this uh, shepherd them and exercise oversight, those are not options for elders. Those are imperatives for elders. Here, be encouraged by an elder's disposition. Listen, along with spiritual leadership comes much authority. 
I want, to, I want you to understand something. Elders cannot lead or discipline unless they have some measure of authority. It just doesn't work. So that's kind of, when we go back to the other point of, of it's hard to shepherd someone who doesn't want to be shepherded. Why? Because they're not submitting themselves to that authority. And so the elders don't have the authority in their lives to speak the truth. Again, but we don't like the word authority, and we're so quick to call anything that feels like authority dictatorial. Someone said this this past week. Certainly, there are pastors who are dictatorial, but we should not shy away from God's good design because of a few despots. He goes on, as long as a church insists upon the biblical pattern for its elders, seeking men who possess the disposition that Peter describes... You have no need to fear the elders. See, along with spiritual leadership comes much authority. So what does this disposition look like? What's it supposed to look like? First of all, it's this. They should have a willingness for service. Have a willingness to do this. Not under compulsion. Not under compulsion. An elder has to be willing to place themselves, hear me, in the front line of the battle against Satan. And if I could just be real honest with you guys, most of the wounds that pastors endure in this battle are from members of the flock living in the flesh. Sometimes by sins of commission and sometimes by sins of omission. I don't say that to, to make you feel bad. I don't want you to feel poorly about that. What I want you to do is I want you to watch your soul. Watch your lips. Watch your actions. Be careful. Not for our sake. For God's sake. See, this front line, like the battle against Satan, is, is largely fought on the turf of your heart. Right? Because our battle is not against them out there, right? And as an elder, my battle is not against them out there. The battle is against what Satan is still trying to do in our hearts. It's against the evil principalities in the hearts of us, myself, in Rusty's heart, in Greg's heart. That's where the battle's fought. So that's why the wounds come in this side of the battle. Certainly, we are to not be a part of that out there, but Satan doesn't just stop at the door. So a willingness for service, a willingness to engage this, like not being under compulsion to do it. Secondly, an affection towards service. They should have an affection towards it. He uses the word zeal. Let's have a zeal for it. I will say, like, if you looking out for your elders and want to care for them, like, watch their zeal. If you see their zeal waning, then help them, love them, care for them. Their zeal, particularly, must be for serving Christ, not the body. Now, the way in which they serve Christ largely is through the body. 
And he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I think part of what Peter's doing here, he kind of gives us a little bit of tests. Not for shameful gain. So what's the, what's the opposite of sh- not for shameful gain? Well, it's eagerly. Like they have zeal for doing it. Listen, someone serving for gain will always be looking for the easy way out. Not eagerly doing the task, whatever it may be. He'll always be looking for affirmation or gratitude. The, the easy way out. Doing it for selfish gain. Instead, eagerly, with zeal. So, affection towards service. Lastly, attitude in service. That's... You know, one danger with authority is the danger of having a haughty, dictatorial spirit. That's a danger when it comes to anybody in authority. I, I hope you see, if you're a parent, that you have this tendency towards haughty, dictatorial authority. Peter says in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. Instead, be examples to the flock. Now certainly, power-hungry people creep into churches desiring to exercise an iron grip on everything. They want to make all the decisions, controlling everything. But again, I think there's like a little bit of a test case here. How do you, how do you know if someone's domineering? How can you know this? How can you take a look at that? I would ask you this question. Are they being an example? Are they living as examples to the flock? Again, Paul's giving these, these juxtapositions in this passage. Are they examples? Listen, again, there maybe is an exception to this, but generally speaking, someone who's being domineering doesn't tend to live by the same rules that he or she has for other people. They tend to live by a different set of rules. So I'd ask you, I think you should ask this question. Are my elders living by example? And again, an example, what's that mean? A pattern. Someone said, Peter describes the elders as Christian with skin on them, Christians with skin on them, who demonstrate how to live the Christian life in all circumstances. Now certainly, that's a, a, a perfect elder. <laughs> that would be Jesus. But, in general, this is what it looks like. So let me give you some ways in which we mistake good shepherding for domineering shepherding. At least the ways in which it is a temptation to label it as such. First one is this. Anytime you want something, and it seems as though your elders are standing in the way, it will be tempting to label them as domineering. So if that's in the church, or if that's just a, a wisdom thing in life, right? And you're like, I want this. And your elders foresee that maybe that's dangerous, or at least unwise. And we say, hey, I don't think I would do that. Oh, well, you're just trying to control my life. You know, and then think about as an elder, how do you respond to that? No, I'm not. 
I mean, you've essentially taken handcuffs and said, now anything else you say to me, I'm going to interpret as domineering. I mean, really, at that point, the relationship has to get pretty Ecclesiastes. Just letting it go and letting it fruit itself out. Listen, this is particularly tempting in the body of Christ. Like when you want a position of power, or when you've built your, how about this, when you've built your little kingdom, like I'm in charge of this ministry. I'm in charge of this ministry over here. And the elders come by and say, hey, we need to put someone else in charge. Oh, or, hey, we're not going to, we, we just can't do the ministry that way anymore. How would you respond? How would you respond? If you're in charge of that ministry and you're like, or maybe how have you responded? Listen, it, it, these are excellent opportunities for you to label the elders as domineering. I'm just saying this is tempting. It's tempting in these situations. Second example, anytime your elders press into your life and potential sin, you will be tempted to label them as domineering. They're just trying to control what's going on in my life. You know, it's, it's oftentimes you sit with someone and, and they're claiming the issue is one thing. But as an elder, again, you've been watching over their soul. And you know that there's, at the very least, more going on in their hearts than that person realizes themselves. Or, even more so, maybe you have a good idea that that's really not the issue. How do you have that conversation? How do you, how do you say, no, 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 no. Listen, I've, I've had that conversation Many times, and I'm not kidding you, 95% of the time it doesn't go well. Like it's not received. It's tempting in these moments to say, well, they're, they're just trying to be domineering. Third example. This kind of floats with one of the examples I gave a little earlier. When elders exercise rightful oversight in the body it will be tempting to label them as domineering. Listen, elders are required to exercise, over, exercise oversight over the body. This, again, this doesn't mean, let me, let me help you, this doesn't mean that they make every single last decision in the church. This doesn't mean that the nitty-gritty and details of everything that they micromanage to, to the nth degree. But what it does mean is that this oversight does mean that every last decision does come under their oversight. Again, I'm talking about like church life and organization. Like it does come under their oversight. It means every decision is under their authority and should be an outworking of their oversight. Listen, there's so many decisions that get made around this place that I'm like, yeah, I don't think I would have decided it that way. But that's okay. Because it's not about Matt getting his way. It's about God being exalted and honored. It's about people learning to exercise their gifts and, and being equipped in exercising those gifts. 
But again, if an elder comes in and goes, ah, you know, I don't know about that. Or, it would be tempting at that moment to label them as domineering. So here's the question. What is it that drives an elder's disposition? Like, what is it that should drive an elder's disposition? Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So what do elders do? They serve at the pleasure of the chief shepherd, Jesus. And they are dealing with sheep that God has given to them to care for. So you, in a sense, are our sheep. In another sense, you're ultimately Christ's sheep. But you're only our sheep because you're Christ's sheep, and He's given them, given you to us to care for you, to watch out for you, to guide you, to protect you. And He says here that those faithful elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is what drives their disposition. Let's go into verse 5. I've already read this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How does this fit in a context where he is admonishing elders to lead and lead in certain ways? Here, the relationship between broken shepherds and God's broken people rises and falls on humility. Rises and falls on humility. Certainly there's other things that play part of this grace and mercy and understanding and all those things, absolutely. But listen, you're not going to be gracious if you're not humble. You're not going to be merciful if you're not humble. You're not going to be understanding if you're not humble. You're not going to follow if you're not humble. You're going to be domineering. Elders will be domineering if they're not humble. Elders will do it for selfish gain if they're not humble. So humility must clothe both elders and congregation. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This idea of clothing yourself with humility, he means that it's kind of like the idea of a slave tying on an apron over his seamless garment while going about his work. The apron was a sign of the slave's humble position. That's the picture here. They walk. The elders should walk this way. The people should walk this way. Listen, understand that often, very often, God uses elders, whether through teaching or whatever, to oppose prideful sheep. So let me encourage you, if you feel your chest pop out or your emotions like anger and such rise quickly, your pride is probably being opposed. I can see it in my own life as an elder. When my pride is being opposed, I sit down with Rusty and he brings something up in my life or my family life or my parenting or whatever, and I'm going... Right? And I just, this is, something wells up, and I just want to 
Well, no, you misunderstand me. You don't know I have all the details. Listen, whether he does or not, he's not doing that because he, like, he wants to just cause me a ruffle in my feathers. He's doing it because he loves me, because he cares about me. Whether he's right or wrong, we can sort through that later. So listen, as we think about this beautiful relationship between God's broken shepherds for His broken people, I think it's very fitting that, that God, and I honestly didn't plan it this way, but Peter here in this passage ends us in this talk about humility. See, without humility, this relationship we're talking about will never work. It just won't work. And it certainly won't work as God has intended it to. Here's what I want to give you. I want to give you six admonitions about pride from across the Scriptures. I want you to write down the passages. Spend some time studying these. I'm stealing at least a portion of this list from Mr. John Piper, Pastor John Piper, or, yeah, Dr. John Piper. First of all, it's this. Pride is... Self-satisfaction. Pride is self-satisfaction. Hosea 13, 4-6. Again, I'm going to read these passages, but I want you to go look at them later. Hosea 13, 4-6. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they, gra- when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled And their heart was lifted up, therefore they forgot me. Satisfaction. Self-satisfaction. Instead of recognizing these many graces of God that He has given you. Being satisfied in His hand. So what do you see here? They're satisfied in the gifts of the giver instead of in the giver Himself. You could be so satisfied in yourself that you don't see the need for shepherding. Self-satisfaction. Number two, pride is self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Pride is self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Deuteronomy 8, 11-17 I'm not going to read all of those. I'm just going to give an abbreviated portion here. He says, Beware, lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt. And you say in your heart, my power, my power, and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Do you, again, do you see how this could, could hinder good shepherding on both sides? One of the things that I've enjoyed... And my relationship with Rusty and my relationship with Greg. And as I've, 
as God has used me to disciple these guys to be peers of mine. They've not forgotten the good God has done through me and become self-sufficient and self-reliant. That's an amazing testimony to humility and to God's grace. So thankful. Number three, pride considers itself above instruction. Pride considers itself above instruction. Jeremiah 13, 9 through 10. Thus says the Lord, even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. To quote John Piper, he says this, Pride stubbornly refuses to be taught the way of God, and it makes its own wishes the measure of truth. Let me repeat that again. Pride stubbornly refuses to be taught the way of God and makes its own wishes the measure of truth. Number four, pride is insubordinate. Psalm 119.21 says this, You rebuke the insolent, or another word for this is the arrogant, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. So here's what happens. When the commandments of God are spoken, pride turns away and will not submit. It rejects the right authority of God, the right of God and His authority to command. It rejects it. Wanders away from it. Number five. Pride exalts in being made much of. Pride exalts in being made much of. Matthew 23, verse 6. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. So here's what will happen. Listen, being made much of, like that expression of pride, will inevitably lead to trampling on whatever you need to trample on to make yourself look good. To whomever you want to look good to. Which is ultimately yourself. Now, you can do this, I think, a couple different ways. You can do this by self-sufficiency and a lack of dependence. I'm good on my own and... That is how I ensure that I am exalted. But you can also do this by an over-realized like, sense of, uh, or a, an abused sense of dependence. So I'm thinking like in a, in a shepherding context. You can exalt yourself through exercising dependence. But the purpose, the question is, what's the motivator in that dependence? Because if it's just to look good or to be exalted then we're in danger. So you should not, listen, you should not submit to elders so that much would be made of you. 
Now listen, there's a fine line. I know I'm like digging into some details here, but there's a fine line between desiring the elder's approval and needing it to make much of yourself versus rightfully valuing the elder's approval. Like there is a place for that. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want anybody to walk away going, well, I need the elders' approval because that's what oversight looks like. And, and they have to approve of everything in my life. That's, that's not the picture. On the other hand, it's not, well, who cares their uh, thoughts? And who cares their, whether they approve of this or not? That's not right either. There's a fine line. There's, a, there's a, uh, an honoring place in which we walk. Let me ask you this question. Maybe a helpful deciphering question. Does their approval make you feel good about yourself? Or does their approval make you feel good about what God is doing in your life? I think that would be a a helpful way to get at a healthy understanding of elders' approval in your life. Because here's the reality. If you want approval, and it's for the exaltation of self, what will happen is one of these days, One of these days, you will not get the approval that you want, and your fragile ego will lash out. So, I just want you to understand: like, there's a pride, right? Is going to is going to manifest itself in this exaltation of self, potentially in a couple different ways. And I don't want you to be blind to either one of those. There's a healthy, like, hey. Do I have the affirmation of my elders at, at this point in my life or about this area of my life? Like, there's a goodness about that, right? What, what's the point of passages like, like there's success in a multitude of counselors? What's the point of something like that? The point is that you, you have the affirmation of these counselors to help you work through the situation of life. You have their approval, in a sense, of m- multiple counselors. So, there's, it's either or those wrong. I want it because I want to look good, or I don't need it because I want to look good on my own. Both of those are wrong. See, pride exalts being made much of. Humility says, I don't need the best seed of honor. I can be where I'm at, and where God has put me, and I can trust Him here. Number six, pride refuses to trust in God. Pride refuses to trust in God. Proverbs 28, 25. A greedy man. This is another word, like a greedy man. There's a, there's a sense of arrogance in this. Some translations even translate it arrogant or prideful. He stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. The one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Listen, pride cannot trust God. It can't. It can only trust self. Does it sound familiar to the beginning today? Pride cannot trust God, only self. The posture of trust is too weak. It's too dependent. It makes me look too weak. It calls too much attention to the strength and wisdom of another. Do you understand that? Trusting calls too much attention to the strength of someone else. Trusting God is the heartbeat of humility in direct opposition to pride. When pride keeps us from trusting in God to take care of us, 
we will avoid shepherding care at all costs. Maybe even all while painting this beautiful picture of we're living it just perfectly. Pride keeps us from trusting in God. Let's go back to chapter, chapter 5 or 6. Humble yourselves, therefore. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Listen, God will not exalt a prideful person. A humble person He will. Let me give you this last admonishment here. Humble yourselves by casting your anxiety on Him. Humble yourself by casting your anxiety on Him. For some of you, I've stirred up some anxiety this morning. Like, not me, but the text, right? Stirred up some anxiety. Like, oh, what do I do with this? What do I, what do, I do with this? Makes me anxious. Listen, look at verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on Him. Because He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. He will care for you better than Russ, myself, or Greg could ever. He will care for you. And listen, the hardest thing for pride to do is to cast its cares on a faithful creator. It's the hardest thing for pride to do. I got to take this up. I got to handle this. I got to make sure this is right. I got to defend myself. I got to protect the future. Instead of casting our anxieties on Him, someone said, casting your anxieties on God means trusting the promise that He cares for you and has the power and the wisdom to put that care to work in the most glorious way. Trusting that. But when I don't trust that, what am I trusting in? Because we all trust in something, always. The only other opportunity, or the only other option is to trust ourselves. And listen, understand that He intends to do much of that care through your elders. Think about this relationship, like for elders, for the sheep, the shepherds, for God's people. It's an incredible opportunity to cast your anxiety on Him, at least in part, because your elders will not be perfect. It's a wonderful chance to be cared for, though, by God's means, through His shepherds, as they fulfill their responsibility. It's an incredible opportunity to cast your anxiety on God. Listen, that trust is the opposite of pride. It's the essence of humility. It's a confidence. Hear me. This this humility is a confidence that the mighty hand of God is not over you to crush you, but over you to care for you as He has always promised. And I believe if you can trust God, you can trust Him to work through His shepherds. 
And trusting God is the only way that that works. I want to kind of take a few moments to step back and go, kind of take this whole series and and drive it to a, a conclusion. Elders serve to point all of us to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That is their role, their goal, their purpose. Is that everything that they do is to serve to point all of us to Jesus. The chief shepherd, Jesus. Listen, he wasn't broken because of his sin. He was broken because of ours. Amen? He laid his life down in the ultimate way in order to gather his sheep under his own care. That's what was best for them. That's what they needed. That's what we needed. And the ultimate display of humility comes for us when we say, I cannot save myself. I need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash me clean. I need the chief shepherd to guard my life. But then what happens? What happens? is that the chief shepherd says, I laid down my life to save you. I laid down my life to save you. And now to work out that salvation, I'm going to do the impossible. I, Jesus speaking, am going to take broken men, rescue them, give them new hearts, slowly eradicate the influence of the flesh, And I will require of them to lay down their lives to care for you. Listen to me, church. Only the chief shepherd could do such a task. If we trust the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, we will overcome by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, our deep-rooted, dark skepticism of authority. Listen, we see in the Gospel of Jesus Christ that we have absolutely no need to be skeptical of God's authority. Listen, that's what His exercise of authority looks like. Yes, He requires these things of us, and He leads us in this way, and through trials, and through hard situations, and through pain and suffering, both caused from our own doing and from those without. And then His exercise of authority leads to the laying down the life of His Son, Jesus. Listen, it kind of gets at the essence of if you cannot overcome dark skepticism of authority, when you think of God and His exercise of the gospel of Jesus Christ and laying down His Son, then you don't get the gospel. I pray that God would give you eyes to see that, a heart to embrace it. When we see the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have no need to be skeptical of God's authority. He is good and He loves His children. You see, the work of broken shepherds by God serves to point God's broken people back to the chief shepherd whose body was broken, not because of His sin, but because of ours. 
and on him we can cast all our anxiety. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word serves people's hearts by the power of the Spirit in ways that we cannot see or tell at this moment. Father, that these words from Peter and from other various passages we've looked at today would have a rippling effect in our body that people's lives and hearts would be changed and enslavement to this dark anxiety and skepticism that we would be set free from that. That we would not be enslaved to this wandering around going, is everyone out to get me? And therefore only trusting in our own authority. But instead, like Adam and Eve should have done, and like your son Jesus did, may we, as we abide in him, say, God's rightful authority is nothing to be skeptical about. He always exercises it for his glory and for our good. And he's chosen to exercise his authority through elders in local churches. Imperfect frail, weak elders. So God, may may you give us hearts to see this. May you give us humility. May you give Russ and I and Greg humility as we just want to follow you. Help us to depend on you. Father, give us humility that is akin to the humility of your son Jesus as he humbled himself to come to this earth. Father, may you use this relationship to move us towards trusting you. Use every aspect of it, please. Even the failures of your elders. May the cross be glorified. Sons, may you be glorified in the cross. Father, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.